Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Overrun Podcast. My name is Ed Bowder. I'm Dan Schwester. I'm Mike DiFilippo. And today, I'm going to take over as the moderator because Ed, us- Ed usually runs. Lead. Dan's the lead. Yes, Ed. I know. <laughs> I don't, I'm, Ed usually runs the show, but today, I'm going to do it because we're going to talk about a topic that Ed and Mike are currently going through that may be of some interest to people in our audience. Um, as you know, Ed and Mike are both uh, paramedics, but they're also medical students, uh, both attending medical schools. Uh, Mike is a third year, currently finishing up his third year, and Ed is finishing up his first year. So this is something that's becoming more and more prevalent. Uh, we're seeing you know, paramedics, clinicians in our field taking that next step and going to medical school or, you know, it P- used well, to, PA school and all that. PA other school. Stuff too, yeah. You know, I mean, nursing was there, but this is this is a this is a different kind of direction that we're going into. And we're going to start seeing that there's going to be, you know, a generation of physicians coming out with a lot of pre-hospital knowledge. So for the people that are listening who are considering it or who don't even know that this is a possibility, what got you started? What was the thought process that got you into this? How did you do it? And where so are the, you right now? The first thing I just want to kind of address on that is, so we're recording this right now in April. Um, so whenever this comes out, it, it won't matter. But so the whole purpose of recording it and trying to get the episode out is we're getting to a point in the academic year where people are going to start deciding, you know, next year, like if you're a junior in undergrad, um, you know, you're gonna have to start thinking about like when to take your MCAT, when to start getting all your applications together, like that. So I, I think the timing um, is important because you have to start kind of planning ahead for when you're actually going to apply and when you're going to take all the exams and like mm-hmm. that. Um, for me, as far as like you know, what what got the process started? I was actually a nursing student um, because the whole thing was you know you become an EMT, you become a medic, you become a nurse. That's just like the next thing. Um, and I figured well, that's out, always been the traditional trajectory for like right, the last exactly. Years yeah. or so. you know, Absolutely. so I. I was working as a medic, uh, and I went through all the, like the critical care stuff, and you know you, you learn more stuff that way. And you start getting, for me, I started getting frustrated with what you learn on the critical care end, and then, you know, not being able to apply it. And then you start seeing like, well, we should probably do this, and then you can't do whatever program. So I started going through nursing. Um, I didn't care for nursing school <laughs> at all. Um, I had a running joke like I don't really care about Clara Barton or or uh, Florence Nightingale. <laughs> like it's so, oh my gosh. <laughs> so benefit, like I don't care. Um, but yeah, so I, I started going through and I was like, all right, you know, I, if I'm going to do this, I want to be a nurse practitioner. It's going to take me however, you know, eight years, whatever, to go through school. And uh, a friend of mine who had just finished up her MD was kind of like, well, if it's going to, if the time's going to pass anyway, you might as well try and go to medical school. That is the same phrase I heard. And I, I agree with that too. If the yeah. time, the time will pass anyway. Right. Yeah. And that, and like, that's one of the things that I, I, you know, still impart to people who are, you know, whether like in an EMT class I teach or, you know, medic students, like. You know, I worry about timing. It's like, well, you know, it, 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 10 years is going to pass in 10 years anyway. Right. So and I have a couple friends who they elected instead of going to medical school to go to PA school because it's only two or three years of school, depending on your on the program you go to. And the objection that I have to it, like PAs are a valuable part of the healthcare team. I'm not taking that away from them at all. But if the only reason you're going to PA school is because of the time, like that's fine. In three years, you'll be a PA. But in 10 years, I'm going to be your boss. Which like I realize that you know that is kind of a shitty way to put it, but you know there's there's a cap really with with some of the ways you can do it. So that was that was kind of my whole thing. Like really, it it became a a time concern. I knew I wasn't really crazy about nursing, um, 
And then I, I kind of started pursuing like the, the medical. Well, nursing, so. it seems to me, there's, you know, a lot of medics gravitate toward nursing school. And I think there's a time factor involved. And sure. um, I yeah. think it's probably a location thing that's involved as well. But nursing is a lot different from paramedicine. So oh, the, yeah. the only caveat I would say to. Uh, and I, I think people miss that. I think a lot of people are. No, definitely. I think a lot of people uh, are capable of doing medical school, um, being almost fully done with it. I have less than a year left. Um, I, I think there's a lot to be said, too, about time. I think it depends on a lot of extraneous factors. Uh, like if you have a house, you have a family, you have certain obligations that uh, you can't leave the area. Because the reality is medical school is a gamble, applying into medical school. It's literally doesn't make sense sometimes why people get into certain medical schools, why people don't. Um, you know, I was very lucky I got to stay in the same state. Um, you know, there's, uh, we all know that <laughs> it's just a huge gamble where you, you really don't know where you're going to end up. And that's also true. Once you're in medical school, the next step is residency and a computer decides where you go for your residency. Uh, I mean, you can try to stay within a certain area, but that's also a gamble. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's also some risk benefit analysis that goes into what well, should I go to medical school? Should I go to nursing or PA school where I'm more likely to stay in my area? There's not as much debt. Uh, the, the time is shorter. Uh, you know, there's not as much, quote unquote, uh, sacrifice as there right. is with medical school, not to put ourselves on the cross or anything like that. Um, but this is a very timely Easter reference. Nah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think there is, you know, benefits and disadvantages to going both ways. Um, but to get back to the initial question, why I decided to go to medical school, uh, it, when I, it was when I was in paramedic school during my clinicals. I had a really sick patient come into the ER, and uh, the ER physician grabbed me. I was actually with a nurse for the shift, and he literally let me do an echo at the bedside with him. Uh, taught me all this stuff. Uh, very progressive, and it really opened my mind. I was like, "Wow, this is like amazing level of knowledge." Um, so that was like the initial seed. Uh, and I, I was initially totally content spending the rest of my life as a paramedic, which is a perfectly fine thing to do, too. Um, and then when I began working as a medic, one of my first partners uh, was going through nursing school. He was super into uh, progressing yourself with education. He believed every paramedic should have at least a bachelor's degree. He pushed me to go back to finish my associates, in which I eventually went on to get my bachelor's. And uh, through him, I met a physician who used to be a paramedic who you know, essentially gave me that whole talk too. He's like, listen, you, you know, if you have the desire to learn more, you want to excel in medicine, you know, not necessarily something you can do uh, as a medic uh, to push clinical change. Like you can definitely get the knowledge as a medic, but you can't really put it into clinical practice, uh, so to speak. And he pushed me to go to medical school and, you know, here I am today. Well, and the other thing too is I think it's, there's a lot in the decision-making process that pertains to the environment that you're in. So, for everyone listening, Mike and I went through undergrad together. Uh, we were actually lab partners um, for organic chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Good times. Uh, so much fun. Don't take an 830 class is really the, the first lesson <laughs> I can give you. Don't ever come off night shift and take an 830 a.m. class. Did, did you guys actually go from a night shift medic? All the time. I, sl I slept to in. To orgo? Yeah. Dude, I, slept, I slept in my car in more than I slept line. at home. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I yeah. used to. I had, a, I had a Chevy Trailblazer. That I would lounge out in the back of. Yeah, we used to wake we up. used to wake each other up for our class. 
Because oh, we, wow. we, we would get there early enough that we would, we typically like would park in the same lot. <laughs> and like, it wasn't uncommon for us to be like... Yeah, but that's hey, the only you way you got up. the good parking, though, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you would park right next to the building. You'd yeah, be like, suckers. Right there. Well, so, so this is what I'm saying. Like, our, we are, you're always a product of your environment. And right. when we were going through school, we also were in a position where there was a couple medics that we had worked with back in the day, um, you know, at, at various projects that had gone on and had in literally, or yeah, they, they had just finished their MD. So it's a lot of, you know, what, you know, what are you surrounded by? Um, True. You know, and there's a lot of people who have tried to make the decision. Like I, I was a very we're, we're both non-traditional students, um, but you know, I didn't start undergrad until I was in my late twenties. And there's a lot going through. You're just like, oh, you know, I don't want to. You know, how much time am I going to put into this? Whenever else, and like one of, the, one of the biggest motivators was there was a couple doctors who were medics who went through the same path that I did, and they're like, dude, look, you know, it's going to suck. You're going to be in school until you're whatever 37, but then you won't be in school anymore. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, and again, like getting back to the time is going to pass anyway. So like if there's one thing to impart on someone who's listening, who, you know, is debating whether or not to go back to school, I'm always going to say, like, go back to school, like finish up. For sure. Because, you know, you don't want to be that person who in 10 years looks back and like, oh, I should have done this earlier. And there is some, you know, all the doctors I talked to, I think were very good in the sense that you have to be very objective in looking at whether or not you should do it because there are, you know, downsides to it of course um you know you do sacrifice a lot of time it doesn't mean i don't want it to say this that you don't have time in medical school either like i think i've gone out partying more in med school than i ever did my entire undergrad right or early 20s of my life um but you know there are there are certain weeks or stretches where you're just not going to see you know friends or family uh that people that are doing nursing or i don't even want to see PA, say pa because pa clinical and didactics are very intense like medical school too right um but, you know, there there is stuff to weigh on both sides. But I'm definitely happy with the path I chose now. I so one of, one of my favorite quotes that I've heard about the process, um, and, it, you know, it's kind of like an apocryphal quote, but um, the person I heard it from is uh, she's a fairly popular blogger, um, and she's got an Instagram page. Her name is, her name is Emma Cronk. She's a, an international medical graduate. Um, she's actually from Canada, um, and she went to a school in the Caribbean. And her thing was like, you know, the time will pass anyway. You know, like that's that's kind of the central thing to it. Um, but, you know, asked like, you know, would you like go through school again? And her thing is like, I don't know that I would go through it again, but I wouldn't not do it the first time. You know, and that's that's that's, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah. And that and like that's but I'm sure that's not her quote. Like, I know that's, you know, lots of people have said that, but that's been the most interesting thing where it's like, well, you know, you could either make the make the attempt to go and then hope that it works out. But. You know, sometimes it doesn't, and that's fine. I will say, because, um, you know, there's always people who are being worried about, like, competition or whatever else, and I, I don't know if you're on the same page as me, Mike, but I felt that the competition in med school, in med school, for med school, was much higher in undergrad than it ever was in medical school. Yeah, I I think that I think that's going to depend on what med school you go to, but I will say my experience, um, definitely higher in undergrad. Uh, med school, everyone's been super supportive. Uh, like all my classmates have been amazing um, but definitely in undergrad not specifically at where we went to school but I think just in general meeting people on the interview trail sure and yeah. all that type of stuff like is a lot of like cutthroat business that goes on <laughs> yeah. 
that is just like tiring in and of itself. Yeah. Well, and that's like we're all you know we're all vying for a spot, and there's a finite amount of spots and, and whatever. So there is, I guess. Yeah, there, that is like there's an evolutionary advantage to being competitive, but I I found that the the competitive nature in the undergraduate environment was much higher than it, it ever has been once you actually like get into a medical school. That's interesting. Because we've all heard about the, you know, the, the the legend of the med school gunner, the one who's out there. Oh, they're like, out there. Yeah, they're, they're oh, they're, out, they're there. out there. But, like, even then, you know, they're, I, they're the minority. And the ones that are, like, really gunning also tend to be, like, fairly supportive and educational, you know. So, like, gunner. So, for those of you that are unfamiliar with the term gunner, uh, it's just uh, a medical school term that, that is uh, people that will do anything to get what they want. And that will, you know, purposefully give misinformation to other medical students, like give you uh, notes with wrong information or tell you a wrong time to show up for your clinical or stuff like that. Um, but they also will do like extra stuff and like they tend to oh try, yeah, no. like, try to up their GPA. Gunners exist in every culture. They existed in EMT school. They exist in, medi- sure. in medic school. Like they're not. They're suck ups. Like that's essentially, you know, yeah, brown nosers, whatever you want to. Right. They're them. not unique to medical school. Um, but. but uh, I think that's something that's overblown on social media and, and on internet forums and stuff. I, I, okay, cool. Yeah. So you guys were coming from a clinical perspective applying to med school. You were college students, but you were also practicing paramedics. Talk to me about that. Like, how how did it help you? Did it hurt you in some ways? Um, was there, you know what I mean? Like, because, yeah, I know how to use a stethoscope, but there's also a hubris of, I think I know what I know, and I don't know the depth and breadth of what I need to know. So talk about that. Did, how did it help you? How did it hurt you? So it definitely helped. When it came to the, I'll split this up in two ways, or three ways. Application process, first two years of medical school, and now in clinicals. Uh, during the application process, it definitely helps you stand out because uh, a lot of applicants that are going to medical school are what I call the straight throughs. They did high school straight through undergrad, now they're straight through applying to, to medical school, or you have a lot of people that are quote-unquote non-traditionals that took a year off uh, to travel the world and then and do whatever, and then applying to medical school. Um, <clears throat> the amount of people that are applying now into medical school with previous clinical experience is rising. Um, you know, I have people with doctorates of physical therapy, paramedics, uh, f- you know, firefighter EMTs um, that are applying. It helps you stand out, but it doesn't make you necessarily unique. Um, it's something interesting to talk about on the application process, but just because you're a paramedic doesn't mean you can have subpar MCAT scores or subpar GPA. You still need to be competitive in, in those aspects. When it comes to the first two years of medical school, those are the didactic years, the classroom years, uh, didn't really help too much <laughs> in, in my, in my <laughs> opinion. Uh, and I actually think it hurt me a little bit. The example I always like to give uh, when I'm talking to other students with a clinical background, is cardiology, for instance, is the bread and butter of paramedicine. And when I was doing my cardio block in medical school, there were certain subjects I decided to ignore or not pay much attention to because I'm like, oh, I know this like the back of my hand, EKGs and 12 weeks, for instance. Right. And then I got Uh-oh. railed all sideways, upside down, 10 ways from Sunday uh, because I decided, you know, oh, I know everything from that because I was a medic. And the reality is there's a lot of stuff. You don't know what you don't know, and it becomes very apparent through medical school. There's there's no better, like, lesson on the Dunning-Kruger effect than going to medical school. Yeah. Like, that, like the, the you don't know what you don't know. Right. Um, and I, I going through, you know, because it, the way it's split up, it tends to be like the first two years are, you know, physiology and pathology-based, and then you get into, you know, clinical stuff. Um, 
Like you don't realize what little physiology you really learn at at the medic level until For you sure. get into you know you start talking about you know how musculature works or how um, you know how like we're we're going in through a like the physics like vasculature of literally like an EKG. Yeah, like that that is one thing that blows my mind to the point that. I was very humbled by that experience because when I went to go meet with one of my advisors and I was talking to her about it, she's like, I understand where you're coming from, but there's also people that do three years of internal medicine residency, three to four years of cardiology fellowship, and then an additional one to two years of electrophysiology just to interpret EKGs on a professional level. So it was like, there's so much behind it. And then I remember being like, I know shit about this. <laughs> so like, even if I think I know something, I need to sit down and, and read through it. And then, you know what? It's going to serve as just a refresher for me. And you have to yep. look at it in that way. Um, and then to the last point, going into the clinical years, that's where I feel like you really excel coming in as a medic. You're not afraid to talk to patients. The biggest thing that happens in third year medical school is learning how to consolidate information from a patient and then present it to an attending or to other members of the healthcare team and formulate a plan. And that is a lot of what you do as a paramedic. You consolidate very quickly. You come up with a differential diagnosis, what you think is happening, what you don't think is happening, why, why not, supporting data to, to back up your diagnosis. And then you, most of the time, call a physician, consult with them, get an assessment plan on the way, and go. And that is a lot of what third year medical school is. So I, I think being a paramedic and coming or an EMT and coming in with, with that experience of, of having done that is really beneficial in your third and fourth year. And coming in, you know, you get kind of accustomed to knowing things working as a medic, right? Like I drink and I know things. <laughs> we, are, we are the Tyrion Lannisters of, of, yeah, of healthcare. Um, so you get kind of accustomed to that. And one of the more humbling things, like Mike was talking about, is, you know, you go in realizing, like, you don't know anything. Um, you know, you have to change how you studied previously. Like you're always, anytime you're going through a, like a medical school thing, they're going to talk about, you know, how you're studying is wrong for medical school. How you did an undergrad yeah. is not the same way you can study in medical school. Um, and it, I mean, it took me about two months to figure out like how I'm actually going to, to like read and study things, um, which is not something I experienced in, you know, medical school, critical care training, undergrad, like, yeah, it's I mean, definitely not paramedic school. You, no, no, well, no, 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 I mean, so you hear like the common phrase is like, oh, it's like drinking water out of a fire hydrant or a fire hose, like the amount of, you know, data that you have to memorize and read and get through and sift through. And it's kind of true. I So I always say I don't think necessarily the content itself is difficult. It's just the speed at which like it is no joke when you sit down for a lecture day in medical school and they're covering several hundred pages of a textbook. And they're like, you're responsible to know this today. And, and that's provided you go to lecture. Right. And tomorrow we're covering this couple hundred pages of textbook. And, you know, oh, we you know broke it down into these several hundred slides for you. Thank you uh, for doing that. Um, so, you know, it's not necessarily the content that's difficult. It's just the amount of which the information you're getting in is just extreme. So how so is it possible to digest it all? Slowly. Yeah, slowly. Time you, you take. So that's where it comes. different. Everybody studies differently in, in med school. Um you know, I like to use a space repetition flashcard app, app uh, that, you know, brings up certain data. Um, but, you know, my first pass of the material when I'm going through, like you just take your time, you read through, you make sure you understand it. Like there, there are no shortcuts, unfortunately. Like you just have to put the time in, study it, make sure you're understanding it. And then every, the fortunate thing is everything builds on each other. If you understand the physiology, 
then when you go on to the pathophysiology, you understand what's going wrong from what's what's supposed to be right. And then the medication, like how does this, you know, fix stuff? Um, and then there's some stuff you just have to straight memorize, like the devil, a.k.a. microbiology. Yeah. <laughs> um, that just doesn't make sense. And you just have to memorize well, it. Well, but, but also, like, you ask, you know, what helped and what hurt. And, like, what hurt was, you know, going in, like, oh, I'm, I'm a medic, I've got this. And, you know, where being a medic helps is, like, if you're going through cardiology, you know, there's a million things that you don't know. And, like, my the way that I tend to study things is I'll actually read the text, Um or, you know, a, a, a supplement to the text, and then I go through, like, slides and things like that. Um, and when you, if you're going through cardiology and it gets into, like, the EKG section, it's not, like, that helps because, like, I know how to read EKGs. Yeah. So it's not that you don't review that material. You just have, like, less of the, the mental weight of having to learn, you know, what a yeah, P what wave is. Yeah, what is a P wave? Yeah. yeah. Like, I remember classmates, like, coming to me because I was helping people learn EKGs, and they're like, I just don't understand what a Q wave is. Right. And it's like, okay, like let's go through this. But I will say that's that's also part of the weirdest thing too is you'll be going over material that, you know, we've known it's like it's understood that as a medic you know that. Like we understand that, you know, whatever, an ST elevation in two, three and AVF is an inferior wall MI. That's just you know, yeah. you you do that with our eyes closed. And when you're talking to fellow students, they'll be like, Well, I just don't understand why and you're like, What do you what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah. You don't understand why? Like because that's, that's where it is. It's, yeah, and that's, that's what, what it does. does. So, but that's another thing too is that, th- like, the way that you explain things, um, I found, and when you're like going through questions and things like that, there's there's usually like a, you know a question will be asked and then there's an answer, and you're like that's the answer, and then you'll have a professor who will ask you, well, why is that right? And it's like, well, because it is. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that is like the biggest thing, like. Because it can't be any other way. So that's one yeah. thing I've noticed. Like, so my clinical rotation site, we, we rotate with nursing students and PA students and, um, and, and medic students occasionally. And I would argue nursing, at least at the bachelor level for nursing and for paramedic, it's very much, you know, uh, procedural based following protocol uh, and learning the practicalities of medicine, like how to practically, you know, do the job right um whereas medical school is more about the why like the esoteric knowledge and pas also follow that a lot more uh so you know that is something where you really do learn like you know as a medic i could tell you oh yeah you know we want to avoid giving nitro in an inferior wall mi and oh yeah you may know you may learn like to just shout back like it decreases preload (laughs) and right ventricular (laughs) infarcts are preload dependent uh, and then you have an attending that is asking you a million questions about all the physiology. <laughs> tell me how. Tell me how nitric oxide works on cyclic GMP. Right, like, like all this why? type of stuff. Like <laughs> you know, why are they preload dependent? What is preload? You know, how does nitro work? Wh- explain to me a scenario where you would give nitro in a right ventricular. Infarct. I'm already like, lost. Yeah, no, it's just <laughs> stuff that like that. You're well, but exp- that's and that's kind of the point though is that we going into it from uh, you know the you know the like thinking the way the medic does. You know, we know someone, okay, so if someone's having, like, an RVMI and, you know, they're already hypotensive, so we give them a nitrate and then it drops their pressure more. That's that's the, like, operational reality of it. And then when you start going through, like, all right, well, the reason that that happens is because, you know, nitroglycerin does X, which causes Y, and, like, there's downstream effects. Having to change the way that we think you know, like how a drug works. So like, why would you give nitroglycerin to an RVMI? Like, well, that makes sense now. And like when I was, when I was working critical care, we had, uh, we had doctor's orders to do that all the time. And I used to be like, that's not, that's not how it works. So I remember thinking like, 
and I, and there's a toxicologist that used to be a medic uh, at my school, awesome dude. And he also brought this up. He was like, I remember teaching ACLS to doctors and thinking like, these idiots like giving nitro to a right yep. ventricular infarct. And then you go through medical school. This is just obviously this is one example. And then you learn like instances and like why you would do it. Like, you know, it, I think medical school obviously teaches you how to be more dynamic and situationally respond to the clinical scenario that a patient brings up forward to you. Whereas like a medic, you're, you're really trained like procedurally and practically for the job. Right. Medics are practical and technical proficiency and physicians are more of the depth of knowledge. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Well, and one of the things too, when you're talking about, you know, like how to lay out protocols and medications and treatments, like on the medic side, it was very easy. Like how frustrated would you get if you called for orders for something and a doctor was like, just don't do that. Yeah. You know, and that you always hear like, oh, you know, and I called for this and the doctor said no and blah, blah, blah. And like, I feel like operationally, we were all kind of like, we know why the doctor said no. It wasn't like a flex. The doctor was like, well, I know more than you. But it's kind of like, again, the Dunning-Kruger thing. Like, He's as, playing chess, you're playing checkers. Right, and that's exactly what it would, yeah, that's kind of what it would come down to. Like, and that, you know, you don't want to marginalize anybody by, you know, saying like, oh, like, like medics know a lot. But oh, for sure. It's, you know, we it's do, one thing, but, so we nurses, like, but, it, but we have a very like narrow focus right. at, a, at, a, at a shallow depth. So imagine like... We're good at where we are. So imagine writing like a book report, right? I need you to write a book report on War and Peace. Medic school is reading the cliff notes and writing the book report. Medical school is reading War and Peace and then writing the book report, right? So there might be like big picture knowledge that overlaps on two of on both of them, but you it's know, just more depth and breadth, right? Which is frustrating at the medic the medical school level because you'll get down to minutia and be like, "There's no way I'm ever going to need to know this until you do until you do, <laughs> until, you do. <laughs> <laughs> until it comes up on an exam." Uh. But, I mean, one of the things that, you know, that I had heard coming through is, you know, you really only ever need to know 50% of what you know in medical school. The problem is you don't know what 50%. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you'll hear, and, uh, you know, I heard this in medic school, too, where, you know, you get overwhelmed by, you know, information that's coming at you, and it turns into just kind of like, like, know everything. Like, oh, cool. That's, <laughs> that's fine. I've grown tired of sleeping, so I'll just, just know everything that comes through. Um, but that's kind of what it comes down to is that, you know, there's, there is a lot of information. You have to try and consolidate it as best you can. I think also medic, I, I think from a paramedic perspective, I think we, we tend to regard our learning as finite. Right. And I think medical school is also the, the mentality and the training is also that you're never going to stop learning. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I, I tend like, to think that. You know, one of the things, and we always talk about like lifelong learning and like right that. because I know there's a lot of medics out there, and we've all met them, right? And they're probably in your place too. So you know, internet, don't don't at me. <laughs> um, that you know, hey, I've got my ACLS card, I got my PALS card, I got a PHTLS card every couple of years. You know, what else is there? A lot. You know, I, I mean, just talking about, you know, things that that are coming into the profession now that weren't there 20 years ago. And there's a lot of pushback to that because there is this belief, I think, in our profession that learning is finite. And I think medicine, what you're learning is with all the stuff they're trying to throw at you. I'm getting the impression that they're like, look, you're always going to be with a nose in a book. You're always going to be reading the next thing. You're always going to be paying attention to this stuff. I mean, to an extent. Yeah. Um there's some stuff that's that's pretty standard, like like physiology is never going to change. No, like that's that's already been established. 
Um, where you start seeing like major differences is, you know, they'll talk about like aspirin is a pretty big talking point because it's given to everybody. So they always use it like, you know, how does, how does aspirin work with cyclooxygenase and blah, blah, blah. Um, and that's fine. It and then, makes platelets slipperier. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, so, and, but that's, but we talk about like, like, like the medic school versus medical school difference. That's what it is. Yeah. In medic school, you can get away with saying like aspirin is a COX-2 inhibitor. It's going to make platelets slippery and it's not going to do, and so it reduces the size of the clot. Yeah. In medical school, they'll say, okay, what the hell does that mean? And you'll be like, well, because it does. Because it starts it, it on this and acts thing, on this receptor and, and it causes clot, you know. this and then increases um, this release of. Yeah. Right. You know, but the other thing, too, is it'll go into like aspirin does this and it's, you know, it helps or whatever. And then they'll start going into like indications for aspirin that you as a medic know are wrong. And that's where it gets really for me. That's where it gets frustrating where, you know, they'll give indications for certain medications or treatments for things. And you're like, that's not that's not what they do anymore. Okay. Yeah, I think that's uh, so, so that goes back to the adage. Like sometimes you'll hear in a lot of uh, EMS classes if you have a progressive physician that you know the textbooks are ten years behind the right. literature. And so I mean, if you do keep up on certain stuff, then yeah, the stuff you're learning is is wrong in some aspects. But I think you know for the most part though, it's just getting down that basic you know phys pathophys farm and yeah. And it, you, if you're, you know, an EMT or a medic and you're looking into going into and really any, you know, advanced schooling, whether it's medical school or nursing school, whatever else, you're going to hear people do it. say, <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, no, absolutely. Like, 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 do it. There's always downfalls. You know, you're going to hear, you know, I, I didn't have like I didn't have a caffeine addiction until I was in medical school, you know, like whatever. Um, but, you know, it's it's always going to be worth the effort, but you're always going to hear people say something like, you know. You have to forget that you worked as an EMT. You have to forget that you worked as a medic. And I've always kind of pushed back against that because I don't know that you can unlearn that. Like, you have to you have to work with yourself to that level, but I don't know, like... No, you know, I think I think there's benefits. I think it's part of your tools in your toolbox. You just got to know when to pull them out. I mean, for, if you're sure. walking into first-year med school, be like, oh, I'm a medic, bro. I know what I'm doing. Like, you're going to get blown up yeah. because it's a whole different world. You know, but if you like like Mike, when you're saying like now in your your clinical, you know, you know, your your clinical stages that you're finding that the skills you learned in the street are actually having a tangible benefit. That's when you pull that stuff out for sure. Yeah. No, there's a time for everything. Time to know, like when to use your past experiences and time to realize, like to be humble and like. I need to learn. And and have you found that, you know, that increased confidence you got from, you know, doing stuff in the field and doing things to patients, has that, have you seen that turn out as a benefit to your learning in third year? That where you're actually putting hands on patients, do you see that your supervising physicians, your attendings are more like, hey, Mike, come on over here. I got something for you. This is, you know, this is up your alley. Or do they do they kind of steer you towards things because they know you can swing it as opposed to maybe somebody who's a little more hesitant? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, you, it depends on like what the scenario is in, but you know, being a medic teaches you a lot about autonomy. And um, if you're faced with a problem, you don't automatically go right back to the person in charge and say like, how do I fix this problem? I think medics are very good at like trying to solve the problem on their own or, you know, at least coming up with uh, ways to solve the problem. So, you know, I think that's an advantage I've seen in my third year so far, uh, knowing 
think I know this is going to be really broad, but you know, knowing things has come to be a big plus in third year. Uh, an example would be you know, auscultating lung sounds, like you know, going in to do an admission uh, for a patient that's getting admitted to the hospital. Auscultating lung sounds and being able to tell you're attending, like, yeah, this person has rails bilaterally. Right. Well, and one of the interesting things too, and again, it's <clears throat> there's a lot of like conceptual things for me that have been kind of eye-opening. Like, remember when you first started EMT school? And they were like, you need to have a stethoscope for this class. Right. Right. Okay. So we all went through EMT school, and now it's just a given that we own a scope, right? Mm. So you go through medic school, you work as a medic, and you know, I, I still I, I have two of them. Ooh. <laughs> but, like, appreciating that there's people who are in medical school who have never needed to have a stethoscope until they're in school. It's like, that, that was a very weird thing. It was like, because everyone I knew, like, had a scope. Like, not everyone had a reflex hammer, but, you know, like, now... Like, well, like, right. like you want to buy a good stethoscope, which was taught to me in medic school. And now it's just kind of like, like, how do I talk to me about like, how do I use a stethoscope was very weird for me. Yeah. Like right. that was you know, like, I'm, I'm used to teaching EMT students. But it's like, weird. and that's what, and, and that's funny. That's, that's another thing is like, you know, from the professional perspective of, you know, you buy once, cry once, you know what I mean? You, yeah. you make the investment in the tool because it's worth it. Right. Exactly. You know? Yeah. I mean, there's some docs now saying, well, we're not going to have stethoscopes. We're going to have <laughs> yeah. ultrasounds. Ultrasounds is You know, but it's true. You know, you, you do get a benefit. You learn that practical knowledge. You know, you see somebody who bought a cheapo scope and you're kind of right. like, eh. And it definitely does come into, so the other thing I could think of is there's a, um, uh, one of the students from another school that's rotating uh, with us is a former physician assistant. And talking to him, uh, the experiences we've had are very more similar uh, in clinicals. So, you know, for example, I was able to adequately explain a, a patient scenario and I was able to do a whole, uh, central line insertion, uh, during my third year, which is like relatively rare. Uh, I'm not saying it's impossible for someone uh, to do it. Um, but you know, the attending I was with was, it told me like, you know, based off everything you told me, you sound very knowledgeable, not to toot my own horn. Um, but you know, sounds like, you know what you're talking about. So let me let you do this procedure. And the PA, the former PA, now medical student that I talked to is like, yeah, I've had a lot of similar things like that because, you know, it's definitely beneficial to have a clinical background going into medical school right. uh, just to get opportunities like that. Whereas other students necessarily don't because, you know, they're learning some of the more basic stuff. And it's not so much, and, and again, not so much the actual advanced versus basic procedures, but the fact that you've put your hands on a patient, that you've listened to someone's lungs, that you've done chest compressions, well, and, and that that's you've... That's part of the thing is that I've that I've hesitancy, you know, like, yeah. is there a hesitancy with students? And do you find that you don't have it because your filters lowered? Well, the other thing I w was going to say, too, I think the biggest advantage is just knowing how to talk to people. Yeah. Like huge time, like knowing how to direct a conversation. And because I've been told several times by pa I've had patients ask me, oh, do you have a card I'd like to see in the office out of the hospital? And I'm like, I'm not a doctor yet. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I've had patients close several times, not just once or twice, but, okay. but several times. And they're like, oh, you know, you actually know how to talk to people. You have a personality right. and all those other types. And I feel like that stuff you get from not necessarily just being a medic, but I see that also with fellow classmates, you know, who were teachers and attorneys and stuff like that, that worked jobs before coming in. Yeah. And not saying that, that some of my classmates that went right through college don't know how to talk to people, but... There is a doctor stereotype that is out there that is real for reasons that doctors don't know how to talk to people. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and also like when you're in a clinical setting. And it's setting. becoming a big problem because oh, yeah. a lot yeah. of times patient satisfaction scores, all these things are starting to... Oh, I don't want to get started but, on that. <laughs> but look, this is the nature of the beast. You have to know this. You, to be a physician, it's not enough to have a scorchingly high MCAT score and a scorchingly high GPA. You have to be able to talk to people. You have to be able to relate to people. You have to be able to empathize to a certain point. Absolutely. The the old school Dr. House mentality of I don't have to I don't have to engage you. I don't have to be somebody that you necessarily like. I can be a I can be a jerk. Well, you you hear too people will be like, "Oh, you know, this doctor is a total asshole." But, uh, you know, he knows what he's doing, so I'm going to go to him. And it's like, eh, you don't really hear that anymore. No, right. people are getting away from it. Because the reality is there are doctors that are perfectly nice, empathetic, and compassionate that are also super also knowledgeable and really good doctors. Yeah. Well, and also, like, the the ability to help people, you know, getting back to the, the process uh, of, you know, applying and trying to get into a school. Like, the reality is if you know how to engage with people, you'll interview well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And if you can, like, in most places, if you can get an interview... You can get a spot. You can always kind of have a foot in the door. And if you know how to interview, you can probably right. get And you're going to be much better than that drone kid who's done nothing except stick his nose in Dude, a book. there was, I was on an interview at a medical school and they had a group of us, it was like 30 of us interviewing. And the person went around the room with a microphone and was like, tell us one interesting thing about yourself that makes you unique. And there were about six people that literally were like, I can't think of anything that makes me unique. And they just passed the microphone off to the next person. And it was like, really? Like, you don't know. Like I cosplay as Rick and Morty. Like, like, for God's sakes, lie about something. That may be like, you know, nerves or whatever. But, you know, there definitely are future physicians out there and, you know, doctors now that just don't know how to communicate, like, at all. Yeah, it's and it, this it's is the future of the profession. This is where it's going. The empathetic well, I think position, it's turning now. and yeah, you're seeing absolutely. like even with, you know, you know, full disclosure. I mean, you know, I have a daughter who's in undergrad right now who's looking to be a physician. Um, I did apply to PA school. I got accepted. Didn't go. Long story, but <laughs> I remember this stuff. I remember you know going to these classes and you know going to interviews and seeing these people and I'm and. You know, and I'm in there and I was like, look, we're, you know, former cop paramedic and I'm talking with my hands and I'm like, I really like this. This is great. This is awesome. And you see the other ones are like, yes, someday I would like to attend a neurology seminar. You know, it's right. like it's just not going to fly. Well, you and know? that's the other thing. with Not you know, today. When no, when no, we no. discuss like reimbursements and like that, and we've, we've discussed at length, you know, the issues with medicine being a business. But that being said, there are reimbursements that are commensurate to the doctor being polite. Which yeah. is like, you know, if you're in a situation like or think about your what scores, it, or, you're like, you know, was well, it, even, or think about the value of being able to talk to somebody when something goes bad right. or an error. Absolutely. Like there's already there's already document. There's already literature out there that supports that. You know, when a doctor comes out and says, geez, I fucked we had up. a problem. I'm sorry. Yeah. You're less likely to get sued. Yeah. 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 Well, and even like so. And this is actually a conversation I was having with a couple people um, not too long ago where, you know, having the conversation with a family after someone has passed away. Yeah, like huge, that, huge like, benefit. To like, you. how often have the three of us done that? Mm-hmm. Just, you know, a in, lot. In, our, in our jobs. And, yeah. like, you know, I'm talking to a group of friends, like, well, like, well, how do you have that conversation? Like, well, you, you go talk to them. You just go do the thing. Yeah. Like, oh, I'd be really uncomfortable doing that. Like, what the hell do you think you're going to be doing right. in the next couple of years? Like, you're going like, to have to tell people they're going to die. Yeah. Yeah. It's not even, and, and this is my thing, like, 
I get the I get the aftermath. Right. Like I get I go to the house, I do the resuscitation, doesn't work out. I'm the person that goes over to the to the to the living room and tells the you know, the wife, the the mother, the blah blah blah. I'm sorry. It just we did well, everything we could. It's just not responding, blah, blah, blah. But it, even as a physician, you have to talk to a patient. Yeah. We don't have that as paramedics. I right. don't get the opportunity to say to a patient, you know what, I'm sorry. There's nothing else we're going to be able to do. Breaking You're going to die yeah. right now. Well, and consider, too, like there's there's intangibles as well. As a, as a physician, you're going to have to go in, tell someone that they're very sick or that they are dying or that, you know, tell the family that they have died. And then you get to go to the next patient, which is something that, you know, you learn kind of, you know, under fire as a medic. True. Where like you'll go to a pronouncement or you'll go to an arrest and then you get to turn around and just do it all over again. Yep. Yeah. You know, and that's I, that's an intangible that you don't. I and that's an intangible. That's a ben- that that ends up being a benefit to you right. in your armamentarium. Well, but also like speaking it's my favorite medical word. I armamentarium. Love that, don't I? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! I don't even know who thought it up. I remember god, being in a brilliant. CU lecture when I was working as a medic, and this uh, neurosurgeon that was giving the lecture was like blah blah blah, blah armamentarium, and I was like, oh my god, I will never stop using that word. <laughs> armamentarium. I heard well, it. I, I heard it too at a, at a conference. I'm like, screw it. I'm well, taking so, this. And, <laughs> like the the one other like kind of big takeaway because I've you know off air. I'm like I'm sure you have had these conversations with people who worked as EMTs or medics too. Um, there are a lot of things that you can take from your previous experience into medical school, but no one gives a shit that you worked as a medic before you come into school. <laughs> no, the like, slate is cleaned uh, when yeah, you Yeah, no one, at no point is anyone ever going to give a single fuck about your experience before coming to school. Yeah, and, I and got I, that I, I got that going through the PA process. Like, yeah. They were like, oh, so you're a medic, so that's a, you've done some patient care, that's interesting, you, you know it's different, right? right. I'm like, well, oh, and, yeah, so the, know, like, the reason, okay with that. The reason that I say that is... Like, they flat come, out said it. Yeah, like you, and, and not even faculty, I mean, like like your students. No, because the first problem is that, and this is a problem we have in the industry, where people don't know what we do. Absolutely. So when you say, you know, oh, I was a medic, like I'm I'm a person who, I, I and, you know, say it's rude or whatever, but like I correct people and they're like, oh, you're an EMT? Like, no, I was a medic. Like, I, yeah, I, no, I, do, I, I do that. Um, that guy. But like, I realize. Yeah, I do that. I realize that like at my school, I'll do that and I'm correct. No one knows what the hell I'm talking about. Like, I, you know, oh, you're an EMT? Like, no, I was a medic. You're like, oh, all right. I might as well tell, you know. Like oh that's purple no it's chartreuse no one knows it doesn't like it doesn't, you still, you it doesn't still, matter at all you're still doing the so, EMT stuff right but the yeah, other thing yeah, is like you know you'll go through and you'll explain you know like no I worked as a medic I did all those kind of stuff and they're like cool story bro one time I saw a movie too like it ne- it's never a thing and going from being you know if you've worked in one place for a very long time you know you can kind of become accustomed to the environment that you're in you know like if you worked on the same unit or units. Um, for most of your career, you can become, you know, like, oh, it's it's Mike. You know, I'm happy to see Mike or, you know, Dan's on the unit today. Like, I can't wait to right. see it. And like you get kind of accustomed to that. And then you get into the medical school setting and they're like, you are student 45. Like no one, no one gives a shit about your previous experience. <laughs> like you'll make, you'll, you know, you'll make friends and do all that other kind of stuff. But it's never, you know, you don't get the same um, acknowledgement. When the you warm go fuzzies. Place. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. no one cares. Okay. Um which is probably beneficial, you know, yeah. like, like long term, but it, it's an interesting change. You know, if you think if you're working as an EMT and you're kind of or as a medic and you're kind of like a big fish in a small pond, that absolutely will change day one. When you and you have to be school. you have to be able to adapt to that. Right. So coming up on a hard out. Yep. I got to say it this time. Yeah. So. I want to I'm a 
I'm a young EMT, um, college freshman. I want to be a physician. Give me one major thing that you've learned that you would pass on. Like, are you talking about like scientifically and clinically or just like big picture? Big picture like, stuff. Be humble. Hashtag Sit down. Omar. Be uh, humble. <laughs> uh, like, don't uh, scoff at anything. There's something to be learned from everything, even if you think you know it, even if you think it's useless. Um, you know, if, if your goal is medical school and you're pissed off that you have to take English classes, uh, you know, there's something to be learned uh, from everything. And just be humble through the process because it'll humble you. It will humble everybody. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, that's, yeah, that's going to be one of the, the bigger things. But um, if you're starting in the process, the first thing I'm going to say is do it. Um, okay. the, 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 like I said it earlier, the best advice I ever got was, you know, the time's going to pass. You might as well, like, give it a shot. Um, you know, I have friends who are going through the process now. And just like, try it. Like, sure. if you, if the, the thought is in your mind. Right. So, again, um, you know. Shot. Yeah, shoot, shoot your shot. But, like, there again, um, I was talking about Emma Cronk earlier. Um, one of her things is, like, jump, worry about the landing later. And that's, okay. like, that's an interesting thing. Whereas, like, if you, you know, you're starting college, you're like, I think I want to go to medical school. Like, take the classes. Take the MCAT. Apply. Mm -hmm. Get in. You know, and you know, keep working. Because the reality is, like, you're going to be in school for eight years. And if you're committed to that, then do school for eight years. The worst thing that's going to happen to anyone who's starting in a program now is that you won't get into medical school. Okay, fine. There's something and else. And there's there there'll be something else. Okay. So that's That's a fair point. Yeah. For for your you know, for for your 18, 19 year old brand new, you know, just got out of EMT and thinking, "Hey, maybe this is something for me." You know, that's yeah. that's a really good point. Just jump. You know, you aim for the stars. You 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 land low, but you still turn out pretty good. Yeah, and that's like if you're if you're trying to get through the process and it doesn't work out for you, that's fine. There's plenty of people who tried the process and it didn't work out and they Absolutely. worked out just fine. If you're if, like if you're that 18, 19 year old who's like, you know, if I'm not a doctor, I'm nothing. It, I'm wrong. telling you, uh, yeah, that's bullshit. There's <laughs> wrong, <laughs> wrong, wrong, wrong. Um, and that's yeah. another thing. Be flexible. Oh, yeah. No, have, have to be flexible to be. physically, yeah. mentally. Yeah. Listen, like like Mike was saying, you know, he he had a chance to stay in school in state. Like I had to move out of the country. Right. Like there's yeah. and, you know, the choices were move out of the country or don't. Right. Sure. And like that's, that's you know, it has to be like what, you know, the flexibility thing where I'm in school with plenty of people who are like married with spouses back home. Oh, for sure. And, you know, that's not that's also like we that can go on forever, too, about right, like, yeah. a lot of tropes about like what you can't do in medical school. It's all stop yeah okay it's 20 it's 2019 so that's okay. some good stuff and um you know this is going to be something that we're going to uh continue to revisit uh we're going to cross post to the um med school medic med school medic podcast and uh we're going to probably see uh mike and ed uh start that back up in the near future yeah we're working on it um so that's going to be the second show coming on the uh overrun network Growing the network come Ooh. on syndication baby <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're growing by leaps and bounds over here. Um, so, uh, again, um, you know, contact us. Tell us how you what you think. Um, if you're thinking about this, you know, send us a message. Um, these guys are really open to uh, 
you know, to helping people and kind of giving some guidance. Sure. Um, yep. And, uh, you know, we definitely want the profession to move forward. And this is a way we do it. You know, these are our future medical directors. These are your future medical control physicians. These are the people that are going to be in the hospitals, uh, in the ICUs, who understand the value of what EMS does. So this is something that we need to encourage and we need to push for. And if you're a sharp, young clinician you know or just coming out of emt school and thinking that this is for you uh jump you know uh worry about the landing later so uh um, like right. you know we're on uh again check us out on all the uh, podcasting sites um you know ask alexa about the overrun she'll tell you everything <laughs> um follow follow us on uh instagram at overrun productions um facebook overrun productions uh twitter overrun ems and um We'll just keep growing this thing. We're going to be uh, bringing back this to talk more about uh, moving medicine and power medicine forward. So for the overrun, I'm Dan. I'm Ed Bowder. I'm Mike DiFilippo. And thanks for listening.